Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. The show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where, or how you were listening to this, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 27, Calico Ghost Town Around eight years ago, I was assigned to a project in San Bernardino County, California, out in the Mojave Desert near the town of Barstow. This was in October, and since we started field work early each morning, I still had plenty of daylight after work was done. Often, after I completed my paperwork for the day, I would go for drives to see some of the nearby sites. Barstow is both on the historic route of Route 66 and on an old railroad line, and therefore had some very interesting historic sites. I saw Pisgah Crater, a now extinct volcano, and its surrounding lava field. I saw a lot of Route 66 roadside attractions, most of them closed, but a few still open. And one day I saw a sign for Calico Ghost Town. Of course, I had to go take a look. The town of Calico is now abandoned. Uh, sort of. The census indicates that a small number of people do still live there. And it's a ghost town in more ways than one. Portions of the old abandoned town have been rebuilt and are now a regional historic park in San Bernardino County. The setting, in the Calico Hills of the California portion of the Mojave Desert, seems eerie and otherworldly at the best of times. The silver and borax mining towns sprang up rapidly in the late 19th century and declined just as rapidly, having been mostly abandoned by 1907. Its heyday lasted around just 20 years, but it was a busy town during that time. After it was abandoned, the buildings began to deteriorate, and even a brief post-World War I revitalization of silver mining did not bring back the town's glory days. And so it sat deteriorating until preservation and reconstruction efforts began in the 1950s. And, naturally, the old town is said to be haunted. A number of people who lived in the town, and a few who may or may not have ever visited there, are said to still be present, at least in spirit form. In most cases, they appear to be just going about the same business that they did in life. Among the ghosts of Calico are Lucy Lane, who was born in Bismarck, a small town which overlooked Calico, and married John Robert Lane when she was 18. The Lanes ran the general store, but left Calico during its decline in the late 19th century only to return again in 1916. They took up residence in several different buildings throughout the remainder of Lucy's long life. She lived to the ripe old age of 93. Her specter is said to have been spotted walking between the last house in which she lived, now a museum dedicated to the Lanes, and the store that she and her husband ran. She is wearing a black lace dress, which, naturally, many people hold as the dress in which she was buried, also, her rocking chair in that final house is said to often start rocking on its own, and people working in the store have reported seeing movements out of the corner of their eyes, as well as hearing odd sounds, all of which is naturally credited to Lucy. The schoolhouse, which occupies the highest spot in town, is said to be another hot spot for spectral activity. 
Some visitors have reported seeing a small moving ball of red light, sometimes said to emit a beam of white light from within it, inside of the schoolhouse. And numerous visitors claim to have seen, through the windows, female adults, thought to be school teachers, as well as children, all in late 19th century clothes. Some of the visitors believe that one of the ghostly teachers is Margaret Olivier, the last school teacher at Calico. One schoolhouse story involves two British tourists who visited the schoolhouse and interacted with a costumed staff member who was playing the part of a school teacher. They had their picture taken with her, but upon having the film developed, discovered that she did not appear in the photos. Follow-up inquiries found that there had been no costume staff members at the school that day. Perhaps it was the ghost of Miss Olivier. Another commonly reported schoolhouse sighting is that of a girl, aged 11 or 12, who's primarily seen by children and teenagers. She appears in the window, looking out, and seems to be aware of and watching the passers-by. However, she vanishes mysteriously before the eyes of anyone who watches her long enough. Also near the school, at a bridge over a ravine, a girl of around 10 years old is said to appear to children and warn them to stay on the bridge and be cautious of the ravine. The story goes that this girl is the daughter of a school teacher and that, on her way either to or from school one day, she fell from the bridge into the ravine and died of her injuries. Now she warns others of the danger that killed her. The school's apparitions range from friendly to creepy. The old hotel, however, is another matter. At the hotel, people report feeling unseen hands grabbing, pulling, and, in at least one case, punching them. Doors are said to slam without explanation, and objects are hurled across the rooms. The nature of these spirits, and why they would interact so violently, is unclear, but the hotel does seem to be among the more frightening parts of town. I have come across poltergeist-like activity claimed in other buildings, but all discussion of this seems to come back to the hotel. Other ghosts said to haunt Calico include the apparition of Tumbleweed Harris, the last marshal of Calico, Dorsey, the mail-carrying dog, whose specter has been reported at the Calico Cemetery, a ghost named Esmeralda who is said to haunt the old theater, now a mineral shop, and a mysterious woman in white who wanders the outskirts of town. Dorsey the dog, incidentally, is the subject of the Kenny Rogers song titled, Naturally, Dorsey the Mail-Carrying Dog. Of course, no old west ghost town would be complete without the ghost of a famous gunfighter. And in Calico, that bit of expected element is supplied through the specter of Wyatt Earp, that famous old west gambler and lawman. According to Dennis Houck, author of Haunted Places, the National Directory, Earp lived in Calico for a short time, and he is, to this day, nearly a century after his death, sometimes seen walking the wooden sidewalks. In researching this episode, I could confirm that Wyatt Earp lived in San Bernardino County as a teenager and returned at various points during his life, including a period in his late 50s, but I could not confirm that he ever specifically lived in Calico. That said, Earp's ghost is also said to be present at the O.K. Corral in Tombstone, Arizona, and there is some strange supernatural activity connected to a statue of him, also in Tombstone. This man has a busy afterlife, and I am grateful that he dedicates some of his time to my home state of California. Mine shafts are present both within and on the outskirts of town. Working in the mines was a dangerous occupation, and so it is no surprise that many men met their ends there. It is, perhaps, even less of a surprise that many people believe these tunnels and shafts to be haunted by the spirits of the past workers. Visitors who take tours of the mines report 
weird uneasy feelings and cold spots, which really is not uncommon underground. In the midst of much more colorful stories about apparitions and strange phenomena, the less specific and more vague descriptions of the mineshaft hauntings at first seem somewhat of a letdown, but I regard it a bit differently, and I will discuss that a bit further in the commentary. If one spends much time looking online or talking to people who visited Calico, you'll find numerous claims of feeling as if one is being watched. People, or at least human-like figures, are glimpsed just out of the corner of one's eyes. Weird, smoke-like mists and the now-ubiquitous claims of shadow people also are prevalent. All in all, Calico is rich in ghostly as well as historic lore. One last thing, not ghost lore, but weird. According to Dennis Houck, Highway 15, the highway that one takes to get to the ghost town road and to reach Calico, is rumored to run past the location of a buried alien base, and sightings of UFOs are common in the area. Of course, given that when one digs deep into some of the more prominent UFO enthusiasts' claims, there is a weird connection going back to the 1970s and possibly as early as the 1950s between UFO beliefs and life-after-death claims. J. Allen Hynek, a scientist assigned to the Air Force's UFO research project, known as Project Blue Book, tied UFOs in with broader occult interests in his later writings. So it is possible that the claims of the UFO base are ghost-related after all. Commentary The precise date of Calico's first settlement are a bit murky, though the town grew up in the early 1880s. Some of the sources I have found state that silver was discovered near this location by sheriff's deputies in 1881, and the first mine was quickly begun. Regardless of who first discovered silver nearby, the town was formally founded in 1881 by a group of miners, and within two years, the town had grown to house around 1,200 residents, had 500 mines, and the usual accompaniments of a successful Old West town. Justice of the Peace, post office, hotel, restaurants, numerous brothels, etc. Before long, Colomanite borate, an ore of boron and the primary source of borax, which is used for the manufacture of glasses, medicines, cosmetics, and a number of other industrial uses, was found nearby, opening up a second mineral resource to be extracted. The town swelled to 3,500 people, with settlers from both Europe and Asia joining the American settlers. However, the Silver Purchase Act of 1890 had the effect of reducing the price of silver. As the decade wore on, Calico silver mines produced less, and with the price of silver lower than it had been in the 1880s, mining the metal became less economically viable. The town began to depopulate, a process that accelerated as the borax mines also began to peter out. By 1898, the post office shut down, followed by the school, and the town was pretty much abandoned by 1907. In 1915, an attempt was made to recover unclaimed silver from the old mines using cyanidation, a metallurgical process for the extraction of ore using the chemical properties of cyanide. While this did result in a brief resurgence of silver mining, it did not cause Calico to boom again. In 1951, Walter Knott, of Knott's Berry Farm fame, bought Calico and began restoring many of the buildings. While the purchase of historic buildings by the wealthy is hardly unusual, this was unique in two ways. One, Walter Knott had, as a young man, been a local homesteader and helped to build the cyanidation facilities. 
and two. He turned the town into a historic park with restored buildings, repaired or rebuilt based on old plans and photographs, and donated it to the county of San Bernardino in 1966 when he found that it could not be turned into a profitable tourist destination. So that is the history. But what is one to make of the ghost stories? Certainly, people may well have had strange experiences here, but a few things should be kept in mind when evaluating these old tales of dread. The first has to do with our perceptions of what passes for old, and how we tend to assign certain attributes, including being haunted, to places that we think of as old. Though people have lived in California for at least 12,000 years, and, based on recent evidence, I would say at least 15,000 years if not more, the structures built by native Californians were made of lighter materials and never intended to last generations, the way that a stone or a brick structure is. Evidence of human occupation in California, while well, all around, is often not visible to the lay public, and it takes a trained eye to see many of the signs of past human occupation. European settlement of California only began around two and a half centuries ago, as compared to nearly 500 years ago for parts of the East Coast and Latin America, and there are still extant structures far older than that in other parts of the world. So while people have been in California for a very long time, the signs of their presence are not often clear. Western ghost towns, along with Spanish colonial architecture, are among the few easily accessible and visible signs of antiquity on California's relatively young architectural landscape. As such, these types of places tend to attract tales of ghosts, and they are among the few places or objects that most Californians will encounter that seem old and semi-mysterious. Another part of the equation is that tourism is both important to the local economy and increasingly harder to come by. Calico is located off the appropriately named Ghost Town Road, just off of Interstate 15, one of the major thoroughfares between California and Las Vegas. The region was once an important stopping-off point for travelers on Route 66, but as the interstate freeway system has become more efficient and cars more affordable, sightseeing road trips have taken a backseat to those traveling to get to a particular destination. As a result, the old reliable stopping places along the way have had to step up the razzle-dazzle in order to get travelers to pause for a bit and check things out. In this context, it shouldn't surprise us to see a historic part playing up local ghost stories in order to bring in more travelers. And, indeed, when I visited in October of 2012, the entire place was done up with prop skeletons and ghosts in order to advertise the various haunted events. So that accounts for why Calico makes an attractive haunted town. But I think it's worth considering the content of the stories. Anthropologist Michelle Hanks, who I interviewed in episode 25, has argued in her writings on ghost tourism that ghost stories are often a populist way of envisioning the past and populating it with people like the person who is thinking of the past, or at least in a way that is consistent with their understanding of the past. Now, I cannot say for certain, but based on how the spirits at Calico are often described, I have a more than sneaking suspicion that many of the ghosts described as being residents of Calico were first described by people trying to market to tourists, rather than springing up spontaneously. Nonetheless, that these ghosts are described on many amateur websites suggests that they have struck a nerve, and it is worth considering them further. It is interesting to note that while the spirits described as haunting the town are a mix of men and women, they all appear to be white. Now, I've not looked up the census data for Calico, so I cannot say with any authority what the ethnic makeup of the town was, but it seems likely that Asian, likely Chinese, workers provided at least a significant portion of the workforce, as they did in other borax and precious metal mining locations in California. Although one of the female ghosts is described as a schoolteacher, a stock character for an Old West story, and a real occupation in the Old West, 
Another is described as a business owner, which is less common in people's conception of the Old West, but just as realistic as the school teacher. The other characters include the town marshal, again, an old stock character, a mail-carrying dog, which is eccentric but delightful, and a gunfighter. The marshal and mail-carrying dog are consistent with modern views of colorful small towns, so they make a degree of sense. Old Calico, as reflected in modern ghost stories, begins to look like a desert version of Mayberry, full of interesting people, and also very white. Wyatt Earp is an interesting addition here. While Earp spent more of his life as a miner than as a gunfighter and a lawman, he is best known for these latter roles due to his famous showdown at the O.K. Corral in Arizona. It is possible that he lived in Calico, and even more likely that he at least visited it when living in San Bernardino County. But again, I was unable to find clear evidence of this in the sources I consulted, though I will admit that those sources are far from exhaustive, and it would take an examination of the town's census records to say anything more definitive. Still, while the records I found indicate that, contrary to our modern imaginings, Calico was a remarkably peaceful town, it is interesting that one of the ghosts said to roam the town is most associated in the public imagination with a famous incident of violence. When you combine this with stories of people being assaulted by unseen forces in the hotel, as well as the fact that the management of Calico Park routinely stages mock gunfights that recreate events that pretty clearly did not happen in Calico, it seems like this is a place where the myth of the Old West is a violent place ruled by the quickest gun and the fastest fist shows through. As I mentioned previously, the park does seem to embrace the idea that it is haunted and decorates accordingly near Halloween, further cementing the idea that these ghost stories reflect the past, even if the park does not exactly openly endorse that interpretation. So, between the park's staged activities and the ghost stories, some of which may be the park's inventions, though that is uncertain, the picture that emerges is that of a weirdly idealized small town in the desert filled with colorful characters, including an adorable sounding dog to deliver your mail to you, existing in the same time and place as, and contradicted in its character by, a violent town that lives up to the most frightening stories of the Old West as a violent and lawless place. That these stories seem incompatible is irrelevant. The American public has held both ideas of the Old West towns simultaneously since the time when what we now call the Old West was simply the West. We love both the stories of rural idol and the stories of bloody lawlessness, and so we let them live side by side in our imaginations without ever trying to reconcile them. I've also recently been reading materials from historian David Finicune, who has written on the evolution of ghost stories in England. Finicune makes an argument that I find compelling that the appearance and nature of ghosts reported by people is shaped by the social, political, and religious forces of their time. And so, for example, an 18th century ghost, during the period when new scientific discoveries and advancement in philosophy is making traditional religion appear less appealing, would often serve as evidence of life after death, and therefore the potential validity of supernatural beliefs, including religious beliefs. In this way, the ghost could help resolve people's anxieties over the validity of their own supernatural beliefs. These ghosts were dramatic presences. They could be seen by many, but explained by few, if anybody at all. They were a direct challenge to the deist and atheistic philosophy, and therefore supported Christianity even when the ghosts had little, if anything, to actually do with Christianity. Coming back to the subject at hand, the ghosts of Calico were reported in the 20th and 21st century, during a time of rapid and, to this day increasing, social and economic change. 
and also changes in science that have further disrupted people's beliefs in the supernatural, spurring many to take actions ranging from rejecting science to formulating new types of would-be science or pseudoscience to try to hold on to non-scientific beliefs. These changes have also sporadically provided an impetus to populist and nativist movements, which have risen and fallen throughout the 20th and the first two decades of the 21st century, often in ways that are baffling to people not within the movements. Alongside these events, the world in general, and the U.S. in particular, has become much more of a consumer culture, where the tendency to purchase items not out of necessity, but to fit in or to show a particular lifestyle, has become increasingly common. While this tendency has been around probably as long as commerce has existed, it has skyrocketed over the last 150 so years, and travel is often treated as a commodity to be purchased. With these things in mind, the mix of colorful characters and violent spirits seems almost custom-made for the late 20th and early 21st century populace that want simultaneously to embrace an idyllic past and also revel in the conception of its own past toughness and, with the more vague and difficult to pin down encounters reported by some visitors, such as feeling unseen forces, feeling watched, and seeing things just out of the corner of one's eyes, create a view of the spiritual world that is vague enough to not be disproven by scientific inquiry, even if it cannot be supported by the same. In addition, whether any of the ghost stories were created either by the initial private or later public administrators of Calico as a historic park, they do help to make Calico a place that is more likely to be visited, and for the visit to be a type of consumer good, the cachet that comes from telling people about the weird haunted town that you visited. In other words, we get the ghosts that serve our purposes. Finicue didn't phrase it that way, but I think that's what he was trying to say, and I think that Calico supports that line of thought. It is worth considering this from another angle as well. Going back to the work of Dr. Hanks, in her field work on ghost tourism in England, she found that there was a separation between the way that people heavily invested in research for evidence of ghosts conceived of those ghosts versus how more casual tourists conceived of them. Dr. Hanks found that the casual tourist with an interest in ghosts, as well as the institutions that often cater to those tourists, typically characterize ghosts as the spirits of distinct historic, or sometimes pseudo-historic, individuals. Known individuals with known identities, often in the form of visual apparitions. By contrast, the ghosts pursued by more serious ghost hunters tend to be more vague and tend to manifest as strange feelings, unseen physical forces, things just barely glimpsed out of the corner of one's eye, and other more ambiguous and less clearly identifiable phenomena. Though Dr. Hanks doesn't discuss poltergeists, they seem to fall somewhere in between, more noticeable and active than the vague manifestations often encountered by ghost hunters, but not usually tied to a particular identity in the way that the ghosts favored by casual tourists are. And there are reports of poltergeist activity at Calico, especially at the hotel. So, what to make of that? Well, I think that, for lack of a better way of putting it, simplistic spirits, the apparitions of people associated with the area, are likely generated either by or for people who come with an uncomplicated expectation of what a ghost is and just want to hear how a particular person can still be seen walking the streets or still cause their old rocking chair to move, etc. The stories of unseen forces and other more ambiguous elements come, I suspect, from the people who visit Calico with an eye towards trying to find evidence of the supernatural. Although many elements of these sorts of vague hauntings have also bled into our popular image of ghosts, so they are likely to be kept alive by the more casual tourists once those tourists hear of them. The poltergeist-type activity could have started with either camp, 
or from a third place entirely, but has become embedded in places like the hotel and is therefore consistent with both the casual tourist's desire to see something weird and spooky in a particular place, and with the more serious ghost hunter's desire to find the unexplainable in the hopes of also finding the ever-elusive explanation. So considering the different types of ghost stories told about Calico, it would appear to reflect two contradictory view of the past of the Old West, as a rural, idyllic place and as a rough and violent place, and also reflect the different view of ghosts held by both casual tourists with an interest in the supernatural and those more invested in trying to study the supernatural. It is a nexus for two different, but often interconnected, types of folklore. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention one last oddity of Calico, though this one is not ghost-related. There are those who hold that a spot near Calico, often referred to as the Calico Hills Early Man Site, contains stone tools that are found in layers dating to 200,000 years ago. Well, this is almost certainly nonsense. Looking through the photos of the alleged tools, most appear to my eye to be simply naturally broken rocks rather than purposeful tools. And remember, I am an archaeologist. I'm literally trained to recognize these things. Telling purpose-made tools and the remnants of making those tools from naturally broken rock is what I do for my day job. And I'm not alone. The overwhelming majority of archaeologists also dismiss this collection as an intact ancient archaeological site. Complicating matters, there is a nearby site that dates to, depending on what materials are tested, between 10,000 and 15,000 years ago. And this other site does appear to be a genuine archaeological site showing that people were in the area quite a long time ago, and it is entirely possible that artifacts from this later occupation fell into earlier geological deposits. This is not unheard of, and is something that modern archaeological techniques help to detect, but these are unquestionably from the late Pleistocene and early Holocene, when we know humans were already in the Americas, not from 200,000 years ago. Now, the claims for early humans in California were bolstered by the endorsement of famed mid-20th century anthropologist and archaeologist Louis Leakey, who worked at Calico on a number of occasions. While that may seem like strong evidence in favor of early humans being present in California, it is worth noting that it was something of an open secret that his wife, Mary Leakey, was the archaeological brains of the operation. In her autobiography, Mary wrote that Lewis's acceptance of the Calico items as artifacts, despite evidence to the contrary, resulted in the end of any professional respect that she had for her husband. So, even Mary Leakey seemed to think that these claims were nonsense. Of course, that hasn't stopped many a would-be alternative archaeologist from claiming that these are all genuine, which, again, they are not. To sum up, Calico is a mishmash of a bunch of different things, but that doesn't in any way diminish from its weirdness. I'm glad I found it during my random wanderings almost 10 years ago. Unfortunately, portions of the ghost town burned down in 2001, but the majority of the town remains standing, and it is worth a visit if you are in the area. If you have a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail. You can find more at kmmamedia.com. Click on the Ghost Topology link and you can find episodes, transcripts, sources, and a link to support us through Patreon. Spooky!